Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome back to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton and today I want to talk with you about your thoughts, your feelings, and the deceptions that come with them if you don't discern properly what is truth versus what is falsehood. The first thing I want to do is remind you that we're all in a war. We all must be prepared for battle. We must fight for our lives against the darkness of this evil day that we're living in now. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and here's what he said. He said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. He said, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. So what Paul is saying here is that our struggle is not against physical things. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against humanity, but it's against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is in the spiritual realm. Paul told us to put on the full armor of God so that we would be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. Now, you don't hear much. You hear some about spiritual warfare today, but it's not like, it's not the kind of warfare that I'm going to talk to you about. You see, this warfare that we're having today that we're to have is the battle that goes on in our mind. It's our own battle that we have against darkness, against falsehood, against the thoughts that come, against the things, the temptations that come. So getting getting down to the nitty-gritty here, the weapons that we need to, to fight this battle, number one, Paul said, is to gird your loins up with truth. That's like strapping on your sword or putting on your gun belt, so to speak. Gird yourselves up. Strap it on. The truth. Truth is what you strike down or shoot down lies that come to you from the forces of darkness. You've got to have truth. If you don't have truth, you don't have any defense because you don't know what's true and what's not. The second number two weapon of our warfare that Paul mentioned is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the practice 
Righteousness is the practice of you doing what is right in all areas of your life. That is walking in repentance from all willful sin. So number three weapon that Paul mentioned was to shod your feet with the, with the gospel of peace. With the gospel of peace. In other words, now that you've heard the word of God, now that you've repented from your sins, now that you put your trust in God, not in some religion or some denomination or something else, but you're really trusting in God, you now have peace with God since you're living right before God and this gives you much power over the evil one. This gives you a great deal of power. You know when you're right with God how much more power you have when you're not. When you're not right with God, you really don't have any power. Number four weapon. The number four weapon of your warfare is to take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of them. In other words, every thought that's not of God, every temptation, every false idea that comes to you, you'll be able to extinguish it because you have faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you get your faith from knowing what God said. You don't get faith just from a feeling or faith just from your church. You get it from knowing what God says. And Paul goes on to continue in this uh, equipping yourselves for this battle, so to speak, with the, the last part is the helmet of salvation, which is basically to put something over your mind that will protect you, which is, again, the, the word of God, the truth, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you're going to fight. You're going to fight with the word of God. All of, these, all of these different things really boil down to this. You have the word of God in you. You have the word of God with you. You're carrying about with you the word of God. You're standing up against all deception with the word of God. You're using the word of God. You're believing the word of God. You're trusting the word of God. You know the word of God. This is how you're able to do battle with the enemy. Not It's not about rebuking the devil or going to some kind of deliverance session and speaking all these words. It's about you and me taking on the truth of God and then submitting ourselves to God. And it says if we submit ourselves to God, it says then resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's all there is to it. But the problem is with today's church, today's modern church is not equipped because 98% from the research is done by the Barner Group, 98% of the so-called Christian in America today does not study the Word of God seriously, does not really have a deep and faithful and sincere and wholehearted relationship of prayer with God. They mainly just attend church. They go through the rituals. They go through the motions. They go through the worship service. But they, but 98% do not really know the word of God. So God, God gives us power over Satan to stop all his arrows, all of his temptations and all the thoughts that come from him. He gives us power to stop them when we have the word of God. Paul also gave us some additional insight in how to do, continue to do spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, this is what Paul said to do. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, he's again talking about warfare here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, it's not getting angry or jealous or, or getting your feelings hurt or, you know, or just uh, rebuking the devil or, you know, saying some words or whatever. Those things are just of the flesh. 
He says the weapons of our warfare, they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So what Paul is saying is you got to do something in your mind. It's working in your mind. You're, you know, this is your own responsibility. Everybody's got to fight their own battle, so to speak. So the battlefield, the battlefield is in our minds. It's not in some physical place. It's in our thought process. And I want you to understand something. I don't care what your theology is. I don't care what you believe. The truth is both God and Satan have access to our minds. Both God and Satan can see what we're thinking. Both God and Satan can see what we're, what our weakness is, what our struggle is, what our, uh, our private sins are, or our, our, our trust in God is. It's, it's evident. It's in the spiritual realm. So the warfare is in the spiritual realm and it's in our minds. But God, he speaks to us by his spirit, reminding us of all the things that he said to us in his word. He, he reminds us, you know, that of his promises and of, of his commandments and of the things he expects us to do and how we're expect, he expects us to walk and of the kind of behavior and the kind of conduct we're supposed to have. He explains all that to us in the scriptures, in his word, and his spirit is always reminding us of the things that he has said. And he's always putting those thoughts and reminding us, you know, and with every temptation, he says he gives a way of escape. And so that's what God does for us. And this is called grace. Grace is up here bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny all ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously in this present age. That's Titus 2.11. So grace, the God, the grace of God, is what speaks to us in our minds to do what is right. And in John 14.26, Jesus explained that here. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was sent in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance, all that I've said to you. And there, there it is again. The Spirit of God is bringing to our remembrance what God has said, what Jesus has said, the what he wants from us, what he expects from us, how we're to live, what we're to do in certain situations. The Word of God is there to speak to us. But so we, so we know that God has access to our minds. That's not, a, that's not really a question for anybody. But Satan also has access to our minds. Have you ever wondered how he knows what your intimate thoughts are? The very thing that you really desire to do, that you're tempted to do, that you're weak in. He doesn't tempt you in something that you're not weak in. He doesn't tempt you in something you have no interest in. He only tempts you in the things where you're weak, the things where you're, where you're a tendency, you're, you're bent to go the wrong way. Is that, that's what he brings to you. He doesn't tempt somebody to drink that has no desire for drinking. He tempts them in whatever they have a desire for. And he knows what their thoughts are. He can read their thoughts. He can see their thoughts. So Satan plants tempting thoughts into our minds according to our own desires and weaknesses. He also comes as an angel of light. He doesn't just try to get you to blatantly sin or to tempt you in your weakness of sin, but he comes as an angel of light as well. He'll be bringing thoughts that may appear to be of God, things that sound sort of right, things that sound kind of good, like maybe a good idea or or it's a message you think maybe it's from God. It, it might take you the wrong way, though, but it sounds good. You see, without us knowing the heart of God, the will of God and the word of God, 
being very familiar with who God is and how he thinks and what he expects, without knowing those things, any of us could easily be deceived. You'll not be able to know if the thought you're having or the feeling that you're having is from God or Satan if you don't know his word. That is why you must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because you take that thought captive. In other words, you capture that thought. You bring that thought into agreement or in, into alignment with the word of Christ. It has to be in, a, you, you think, bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If it doesn't line up with Christ, if it won't line up with Christ, if it doesn't line up with the word, then it's not of God. Then you, you throw it out. You cast it out. Every thought that you have and I have must be examined and held up against the truth of God's word, especially when it's something that's spiritual in nature. It's not like you're having thought, well, do I, do I want a hamburger or a hot dog for dinner? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that affect your soul, things that affect relationships, things that affect what you're going to do as far as the things of God and things that you might believe that are of God. Those thoughts really need to be examined very carefully against the truth of God's word. If you don't know the word of God, if you don't know what God thinks and how God thinks and what God thinks about certain things, then you will not be able to discern if the thought is of God or of the devil. And there's a lot of things that are coming to people today because I listen to podcasts. I watch, I watch some Christian TV. I watch the ministers. I listen. I just shake my head. The things that they're saying, the thoughts that they're having, the things that they're preaching, the things, the statements that, that they're making, I know for the most part, they do not come from God because I know what God says about these things. So if you don't know the word of God, you just won't be able to know if it's of God or of the devil. And this is the problem today. In America, we have a a gazillion people going to church that have no idea what the word of God says. If they did, there wouldn't be a thousand denominations. If there did, there wouldn't be a hundred ways to heaven. If they did, they wouldn't be living in sin thinking they're going to heaven. If they knew the word of God, they would not be living like they are. Paul said that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, this has got to be our standard, folks. The standard has got to be what the scripture says, not what your church says, not what Prophet Jones said or, or Pastor Smith said or whatever. It's got to be what God says. If we don't come back to the scriptures and to the word of God and study it and find out what God is saying, we're just going to be as a church, as as American church, as American Christianity, we're going to just continue to be all divided up, full of confusion, full of false teachings, full of false prophets, full of false pastors, and just full of deception. So if you have any kind of thought about anything, especially anything to do with God or what you're to do with your life or that's going to affect other people, you need to take and hold that thought up against the scriptures to test it. Since all scripture is inspired by God and and for the and, and since it's inspired by God, it is profitable. The scriptures are profitable for teaching. They are profitable for reproof when they, when needed and for correction when it's necessary and certainly for training in righteousness. No words to do the right thing. 
This is the only standard we can trust in. We cannot trust in our feelings. We cannot trust in the pastors or the reverends or the doctors of theology or the prophets or the... We just can't trust in anybody but Jesus. Now, I realize that some people are of Jesus, and that's wonderful. Paul said, follow me as you see me follow Christ, and I'm always willing to do that. But you won't know if they're following Christ unless you know exactly which way Christ is walking. And you won't know that unless you know the word. So if you don't compare your thoughts and your feelings and your imaginations to the word of God, then you will absolutely be deceived. In that case, you would not be engaging in true spiritual warfare if you don't. You know, you, you, you got to know the word. You got to apply the word. You've got to compare everything to the word. You got to compare what you're doing at your church to the word. You got to compare what your pastor is saying to the word. You got to compare everything to the word. By the way, spiritual warfare, again, is not rebuking the devil. I mean, I'm going to have to do another podcast about this sometime, but it's not rebuking the devil. Spiritual warfare is about submitting yourself to God, to his word and to his truth, and about you and me taking every thought captive and bringing those thoughts into obedience to God's word. In other words, the warfare is in our minds. That's the battlefield. That's where it's determined which way we go. And see, the mind is almost like a filtering system that that either goes to our heart or it goes away. And if we don't deal with things in our mind properly, they will end up in our heart. And once they get in our heart, we're in big trouble if they're not right. So how are you or me, how are we going to keep from being deceived if we really don't know the word of God? How are we going to avoid it? There's just no way. How many times did Jesus and the apostles tell us, make this statement, be not deceived, do not be deceived, don't be deceived. We heard it over and over through the scriptures. So there's a real concern there on the part of the apostles and of Jesus himself saying, do not be deceived. And today there's a great deception going on in modern Christianity. There's a great deception. There's lots of great deceptions. That's why I do this podcast, The Great Deception of American Christianity. It is this deception that I'm talking about today, though, of thinking that since we're Christians and since we have uh, received the Holy Spirit as Christians, theoretically, we're supposed to have the Holy Spirit. The deception is that we think, or there's a thinking out there, that all of our thoughts then are from God. Since, since we supposedly have the Holy Spirit, then all the thoughts are from God. We have these thoughts and we just speak what we think and we think it's from God. We go by what we feel, what we what goes through our mind and we think that that's from God. And the second part of the deception is that the Holy Spirit is leading us by our feelings. In other words, we th- our thoughts are of God because the Holy Spirit's in us, we think. And then how we feel must be of the Holy Spirit as well. So there's thoughts and there's feelings that are working together. And there's a great deal of deception going on today because of this mentality. But listen to me right here. Listen to me very carefully. It doesn't matter if you're saved or that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, not every thought you have is from the Holy Spirit. It's not so. Not everything you feel is from the Holy Spirit. In the modern spirit-filled movement today, and I've been a part of it, you may be now, I don't know. There's a lot of statements going around that sound something like this. 
You might hear someone say, well, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord told me, or the Lord just spoke to me and said to me, or they may say, the Lord would have me tell you, or the Lord showed me, or I heard the Lord say, and things like this. Have you heard anything like that? You know, my ears perk up when I hear that, because I really do want to hear from the Lord. If somebody has a word from the Lord, that's great. But I've been around a long time. I'm 72 years old and I've walked with God for 40 years. And I've studied his word intensely for 38 years of that time. And I've been involved in various churches. I've been in the charismatic movement myself. I've been to the Pentecostal churches. I've been a part of that. I've also been with several other different denominations looking for different answers to things in the past. But, I've, but I'll tell you something. I have heard many, many, many times these types of statements from so-called spirit-filled believers saying that, saying that the Lord showed me, I heard the Lord say, the Lord told me, blah, blah, blah. But the statements that they have made when they complete the sentences have generally always failed the biblical test. The biblical test is this. Is this what God really would say in this situation? Is this what's on God's mind? Is this all that God is concerned about? You know, those are the kinds of questions we need to ask. I remember one time I was in a charismatic church and there was a so-called prophet came and he made some very nice prophecies to folks. Some were going to get more money, some better jobs, some a new car, some a new house. Some are going to be healed of infirmities. Some had unexpected blessings on the way and so forth and so on. And I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know about all this. You know, I'm, I'm a young, I was a young man in the Lord, only a two or three year old Christian at the time. And I was saying, Lord, I don't know. But you know, if, if this guy speaks to me, Lord, have him say something directly from you. And so this guy turned to me and he said, uh, young man, I, I, the Lord will have me to tell you to read the first seven chapters of Ezekiel. And I thought, well, that's weird. He didn't tell anybody else anything like that. So I'd never read Ezekiel before. I, I hadn't really read the Bible much at all at that time. So I went home and I read not only the first seven chapters, but I just kept on reading in Ezekiel. And I was just blown away. I was blown away by the way God spoke about how he felt about people in the church practicing sin. Well, I knew for a fact that in this very same church that the associate pastor was married to a woman and had children, yet he had a gay affair with a man outside the church. This was going on during this meeting. And I knew for a fact that there was a couple of guys in the church that were smoking marijuana. There was more than one in church involved in pornography. I knew for a fact that there was a lady in the church who was single, who was in, who was living in immorality. She was, she was in fornication with more than one guy. So you think all that God is going to say to these people is, bless you, I'm happy with you, everything is fine with you, because that's basically what this prophet was saying, except he told me to go read Ezekiel, and when I read Ezekiel, I found out he was a false prophet, because I suddenly, just in one book, realized that God himself was saying something about how he felt about sin in the church, and he was he was very strong about it. And yet this prophet wasn't speaking what God was saying. But how would I know? How would I know this? Had I not saw the word of God? How are you going to know? So, so many of these statements that these prophets are making, these prophecies, they're so far from what the Lord would say in view of the condition of the person spoken to or the church that it was spoken in. If you study the Bible from front to back, 
you will get very familiar with what God has to say to his people and the kinds of things he is concerned about, especially how God feels about sin in his people. Over the years, I've heard many messages, even given in tongues and churches and interpretations of those messages that were not from the mouth of God. In those situations, it's just like these prophecies. I usually had some firsthand knowledge of the spiritual condition of that church I was in at the time or some of the members whom I knew to be immoral or in some cases were getting a divorce for no good reason. In other cases, I, had, I knew of members that were strongly connected with the ways of the world. And since I was familiar with how God responded to Israel in the past for the same kinds of things now that I had studied Ezekiel, and started looking at some of the other prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Now I was getting much more familiar. And now I understood what God, I understood now what God had to say to a people calling themselves by his name who were living in sin. So then I knew for sure that if God were actually to speak to these people, that he wouldn't just give them some peace and safety and blessings and prosperity messages in view of their wickedness? No, no, that wasn't going to happen. So I knew God wasn't speaking. So this has been the vast majority of the tongues messages with interpretations I've heard over the years, the vast majority of prophecies. In fact, I have to be honest, I cannot even think of in all the different meetings I was in, a lot of them over the years, I don't remember ever hearing one single message that addressed sin and spoke from the voice of God to the people in sin like it is in the Bible. And with almost no exception, have I ever heard anything like that? So I'm, I'm not going to say never, never, because I could have forgotten, but I don't remember one. In fact, over the several years I spent in the charismatic churches, I never even heard one prophecy or interpretation of tongues that addressed sin, worldliness, idolatry, and yet every denominational church I've ever been in was saturated with these sins. Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-eight. He said, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them. They're making everything look good. Seeing false visions and divining lies for them. That is, these prophets were speaking to the people of God, saying to them, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord said he has not spoken, he has not spoken. He's not... The Lord didn't send prophets to give people all this peace and safety and bless you stuff. When he sent a prophet, it was because there was a problem and he sent the prophet to speak and to address the problem that was in Israel. It's no different in the churches today. I mean, you think in the condition of the American church that all God's got to say is, hey, I'm happy with you. Be blessed, be prosperous and get well. I don't think that's all he's got to say. If you if you know God, if you know His Word, you'd know that's not all He's got. Not all He's got to say. In Jeremiah twenty three verses twenty one and twenty two, here's what He said: I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people, and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. And like I said, with almost no exception, I'll give you a couple of exceptions. I have seen, I didn't see him in person, but I have seen the video where David Wilkerson was addressing the sins of the American church and of America in general, 
But he was calling us out for the wickedness in the church and the compromise and the pastors who are allowing sin to go on. So David Wilkerson is one of the few I've ever heard speak against the, the condition of the church today. And another one whom I did meet one time was Leonard Ravenhill before he died. I met with him in, in, uh, in Dallas, Texas one time. In fact, we talked and he prayed for me. And he was a man who stood up against the condition of the church. And he was really strong against it. In fact, at that meeting that I was in with him, he spoke to us. As an old man, he was, he was in frail condition, but he still addressed the sins of the church. And those are some of the rare examples I have ever heard of anyone who would prophesy and speak like God speaks and, and who would say the kinds of things that would turn God's people back from their evil ways. The problem is that nobody's turning anybody for the most part back from their evil ways today. It's all a big business. It's all a big show. It's all about making people happy, making them feel good. It's about entertainment. It's about, it's about, it's just a feel good thing that we're going on in American Christianity today. Almost all the prophecies are just all about making people feel better. So again, these prophecies that are coming forth today. They're, <laughs> I still listen to them. I, I keep listening for the word of the Lord. I don't hear it hardly. Almost never do I hear the word of the Lord. But they're on TV all the time. They're on the podcast almost daily. I guess they are daily. I don't listen to them all. I listen to some. And you can find them on YouTube. You can look up different ministers and listen to their messages. It's all about blessings and peace and happiness and well-being and healings and prosperity. As though that's the only thing that's on God's mind. But I'll tell you something. I know what's on God's mind. The wrath of God is being poured out. This is not the agenda of God to a nation that is this, this agenda of blessings and peace and happiness and healings and health and prosperity. This is not on the agenda of God to a nation and to a church who is living in sin and rebellion to God, who doesn't even know God, who doesn't even know his word, who's not involved in spiritual warfare, that's not involved in taking thoughts captive, but a church that does whatever she wants to do and still takes on the name of God. She's a whore. This church today is a harlot. So obviously not every thought or message is from God, even though it is usually assumed today with the modern spirit-filled movement that their thoughts are always from the Holy Spirit. It's assumed that. And so I said the first part of this deception was, you know, that about the thoughts. The thoughts were from God. Well, the second part of this modern deception that I'm talking about today is the part about the feelings. The thoughts announce the feelings. It's all too common today to hear someone say something like this. I feel like the Lord is telling me. I, you could just feel the Holy Spirit in that place. Or I feel that God is going to do whatever. Or I felt the Spirit moving. Or I could just feel the Lord. I once had a charismatic pastor who would gasp his breath when praying for someone. And I, I asked him, I, I didn't know what he was doing. I, I didn't know what was happening to him. So I asked him, I said, uh, what was that thing that you're doing? And he said, oh, that's the spirit gripping me. That's, that's, the, that's the Holy Spirit. That's a surge of the power of the spirit going through me. And I said, and he asked me, he said, have you ever felt the spirit? I said, no. And so it's kind of like, you know, you've seen T.D. Jakes on TV. I have, maybe you've been in person. And he'll be speaking, all of a sudden he'll have kind of like a sudden jerk, like he got jolted with electricity for a moment or something, and the people all get all happy about it and everything. 
you know, like it's supposed to be some kind of a jolt from the spirit, I guess. I don't know what it is. But see, I don't find any scriptural basis for any of these things. There's a lot of dramatics with televangelists going on today with things like this. And there's a, but there's not any evidence, none from the scriptures that God causes people to feel anything physically. I know there's a lot of other spirits operating today that cause false signs and wonders. I'm not saying they don't feel something. I'm not saying something ain't happening. I'm not there. I don't know if something's happening, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't find any evidence that the spirit of God is causing these things to happen. In fact, we were warned about this, that in the last times there would be all kinds of signs and wonders and false signs and false deceptions coming to deceive even the elect if possible. You know, folks, we're living in the generation of feelings and emotions and, and religious fantasies. We're, we're living in that generation now. It is no longer about what we believe, but now it's about what we feel. The norm is, the norm now is to experience something. So churches have become pep rallies with lots of emotions and feelings being passed out. You know, they're being handed out. You, you want a, you want a good feeling, then there's going to be a church that's going to make you feel good. It's all about making you feel good, making you feel like you've somehow worshiped God or somehow met God or whatever. But here's what I want you to think about. Jesus didn't say, if you feel like it, you can move mountains. But he said, if you had faith, you could. Moses didn't go down to, to Pharaoh. To, to lead the children of Israel out of bondage because he felt like it. In fact, he didn't even feel like it. He didn't even want to go. But he did go because God told him to. So it wasn't about how he felt. It was about what God said. So I ask you this question. Who in all the Bible ever said anything or did anything or believed anything because he felt something? Whoever felt the Holy Spirit I mean, I really, I really ask you this question. I'm not trying. I mean, this, this makes no sense. It's not biblical. So I thought, well, I'm going to look this up. You know, I study the Bible a lot. And so I, I just had to go and research this one question. The word felt, the word feel, the word feeling. I looked up these three words, felt, feel, and feeling. And here's what I found out. There's only 16 times in the whole Bible that the word feel appears at all. And I'm talking about Old and New Testament. There's only two times in the whole Bible that the word feeling appears. And there's only 17 times in the whole Bible that the word felt appears. And I looked at all of them and not one single one of them, none of them are ever referring to anything about feeling God, feeling the spirit or feeling anything from God or feeling anything about God, or feeling anything of the Spirit of God, from the Spirit of God, or by the Spirit of God. It is just not there. So I'm going to go back. All scriptures inspired by God, all profitable for teaching and for correction and for reproof and training in righteousness. So if it's not in the scriptures, then it's not so. Or if it's not even, if there's not even anything like it in the scriptures, it's not. So don't, don't, it don't necessarily, necessarily have to be verbatim, word for word, but it has to be similar. There has to be something that you can take and say that looks like it, but there's nothing there. But there are words in the Bible like faith and believe and obedience. 
Well, faith and believe and believe, just those words came up 454 times and the word obey or obedience comes up hundreds more times. So with truth and with God and with the Holy Spirit, it's always about, I believe God. I believe his word. In the Bible, it was never about feeling something. I know a lady personally. I've I've worked in her life for quite some time and tried every way I can to help her. She has struggled with sin and with unbelief for years. And uh, she would go to God from time to time and pray, attempting to have a relationship with God, attempting to uh, get past her sin and unbelief. But because she never felt anything when she prayed, she would always give up and become hopeless again. She got this idea that she had to get a feeling from God in order to believe or know that God was there. But recently, I think in just the last few days, she finally chose to believe God and his word by faith and give her life totally to him and now trust in him by faith rather than waiting on a special feeling to come. She got the feeling mentality, folks, from the false church of American Christianity, and I will say specifically from the charismatic movement. She got that feeling mentality from that, not from the Bible, not from God, not from the Spirit of God, but from a false doctrine about feelings. Now she understands it's not about feelings, it's about believing God. And it's about obeying God. So here's where faith comes from again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You won't have any more faith in you than you have knowledge of the word of God. You can't have faith just in faith. Some churches now are trying to get people to have faith in faith. Well, just have faith. They preach faith and stand on your faith and all that. But there's no word there. You can't have faith just in faith or you can't have faith just in your feelings and it be a true faith it'll be a false faith if you do but it won't be true i'm talking about true faith the kind of faith that moves mountains the kind of faith that sets you free the kind of faith that cleanses you from sin the kind of faith that really puts your trust and life in god that's the kind of faith i'm talking about so this is the condition of the american church today It's a religion based upon feelings and not upon genuine faith. God said in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot possibly please God without faith. I'm talking about true faith, the kind of faith that cleanses you from sin, the kind of faith that delivers you into the kingdom. So we're called to be engaged in warfare. We're told to put on the full armor of God. We're told to know the truth so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We're told to take every thought captive, comparing it to the word of God. We're told to be wary of those who say, the Lord says, if they don't speak like he does. We're told not to put our trust in our own thoughts until we compare those thoughts to the word of God. We're told not to put our trust into feelings, until they until we make sure that those feelings line up with the word of God. Everything's got to line up with the word of God. Every teaching, every prophecy, every message, every doctrine, every church, every feeling, every thought, it's all got to line up with the word of God. So if you don't compare everything that you think, that you hear, and that you feel 
to the word of God, you will surely be deceived. It's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. So you should study yourself. You should study to show yourself approved. Approved by God as a workman who handles accurately the word of truth. Today, a false version of the Holy Spirit is worshipped rather than the Lord. The Holy Spirit was given for our help. He was given to remind us of all that Jesus has said. The true Holy Spirit will always elevate Jesus and his word so we can be cleansed of our sins and be in the will of God, but not so we can feel good. Are you trusting in a feeling or are you trusting in your own thoughts? We were told not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. I hope you listen next week to another Great Deception podcast. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.